Hi, uh, welcome back to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Corey King, Chief Executive Artist of Zenfry and uh, creator of Clandestine Anomaly, which is my uh, recently released game on iOS and also my first game. Okay, and what's, what's the game about again? So uh, the game is a location-based augmented reality game, which based on the last episode, we'll decide if I should introduce it that way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and it's, uh, it's basically about um, you, know, you being thrown into an, uh, you know, this intergalactic struggle that's happening all around you that you're unfamiliar with, but due to circumstances of an alien ship crashing and not knowing where to land, hacks your phone and introduces you to this uh, large... A large world where you have to sort of prove yourself and muddle your way through the the darkness using your primitive human technology. Okay, and for the audience out there, they can what what's the website they can check out to find out more maybe about the product and your other games maybe while they're listening to this. Sure. So uh, my company what main website is uh, zenfry.com, which is z e n f r i dot com, and then uh, to find out about this game specifically is uh, clandestineanomaly.com. And I just, you know, in, I didn't choose the easiest words, but just throw it into Google and it'll correct it. Believe me, I've screwed it up myself many times. Okay. So Z-E-N-F-R-I.com and then um, C-L-A-N-D-E-S-T-I-N-E-A-N-A-M-O-L-Y.com. Yes. Hopefully I got it right. Okay, awesome. Star um, <laughs> and or, star and wars is much simpler combination of words, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So last time we were discussing, um, you know, some of the potential challenges and opportunities of augmented reality, and just also trying to find out what is the best formula. And, and we kind of ended off on, you know, what's what's the best approach? The iterative approach, where you release small projects, get understandings, or the Apple approach, where you try to perfect it and release it. And and there's benefits to both but you know you know even with the apple approach what's interesting is they kind of did test out the technology and the concepts through their ipod right i mean it was i mean all that technology kind of built up to the iphone mm-hmm. and sure. and so so i think the approach of having smaller projects potentially testing out parts of the technology or the design or something else like that can work i mean if you have the resources but I would still say that when they released the, say, the iPod, they didn't say this is a small, com- I mean, I'm sure they have a larger corporate strategy overall, but yeah. that was a complete product that was innovative in its own right. They didn't yeah. sort of shy away from it. And I would say that yeah, that's true. that is more what I'm looking for as well. I'm not saying yeah. clandestine anomaly is the end game of my clandest- of my augmented reality ideas. In fact, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a Hopefully, if it's successful, it's a Trojan horse into a much, much larger and more interesting area. And, and I guess with the Apple products, you know, you think about Steve Jobs, and he pretty much designed products for himself. And maybe that's what helped. I mean, that, that gave him that instinct to say, this, this can work. Um, versus, and, and I guess, so as long as you're developing the product or the movie or the game or whatever for yourself you have a higher chance of being able to go with the Apple approach? What What are your thoughts on that? I mean, but then you have to be really good. Like, it wasn't like Apple hired idiots. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, like, they executed, like, all the aspects of it were executed properly so that people could pick it up. Because what I've seen is that even if you have an amazing idea, if it's buggy or glitchy or, you know, it doesn't satisfy the needs of what, you know, what the people want to do, or, or it, it, they can't... They can't trust it because it's not it's not done well. 
mm. then you're you're going to lose out. You're mm-hmm. you're even even if it has amazing potential. Um and and so I think about because because I just think about um MMOs and and I've just seen this up front where people like playing these multiplayer games but if they're bullies in the game even if they love the game they're going to quit. And and so you have to make that product experience so amazing that people can embrace whatever new thing that you're you're offering in the game or the product or something else like that. Um uh, most most uh definitely I would say that that is true. And um, I would say with, with software, it's always hard to know for sure before you go live. Like even Apple has to patch yeah. things uh, in the software realm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it has to be as good as possible, which is where it does come down to. If you're trying to stake your name on saying, we make great augmented reality games and you do a bunch of like quick duds, it does yeah. um, and, d- diminish your ability to say that. that um, yeah, and the other example is just Apple reviewing the apps, right? So, so that people trust the App Store a little more. I mean, I'm not saying every app is awesome there. <laughs> no. But, but you know what? It's an amazing ecosystem that is generating a lot of money. Um, yeah, I mean, and as, as I was saying, the App Store, you know, it's an amazing ecosystem. And part of it is that consumers feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, buying there and 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 that benefits you know indie developers like your your games on the app store yep. and so so there has to be that that quality metric if you're going to try to do something new um but yeah i don't know i mean i i that's I, where I, I'm i torn. mean <laughs> yeah it's it, it's exactly true because um like this is not the first going back to film again the attempt at 3d yeah it, um there was attempts before that you know, it, it took a couple of years before it died, but it just the experience wasn't quite good enough yet, um, and and that is definitely um, always a concern you have to be worried about is making sure that the quality is sufficient to represent it, and, and that's where I almost think maybe where VR does have the advantage because it's so new, but it's not actually out yet that people can do a lot of iterations now without it damaging the reputation of yeah. modern VR. And the people who are playing the games are very tech-savvy people who understand that this is an exploratory phase. It's not... Uh, VR games are not being sold to, uh, like, Jimmy down the street or, like, Francis's mom or, you know, people like that yeah. who, are going, who it has to be perfect for. It's being sold to people who bought a dev kit and know how to use PC which uh, like and to yeah. game which is knowing how to PC game is already uh, too high of a barrier for most consumers um, which is why consoles and stuff are generally more successful um, and and so yeah and it depends on, on that audience whereas AR sort of because it was doable on existing devices perhaps maybe this is why um, you know they've been out there and and haven't worked because they weren't those Post experiences because the um, experimentation was happening publicly. Yeah. Um, uh, perhaps that's the reason. I also think the other problem is AR is a very um, broad term. Like you know, like in terms of functionality, like there's AR that uses markers. There's ARs that tracks your face. There's AR yeah. that uses GPS, which is like ours. There's AR, and it's like that is just you know you don't know when someone says AR exactly what the experience is going to be. Yeah, and when I think of AR, I just think of those cereal boxes. For, for kids where I think they could put a webcam up on it or something and it would show like some amazing thing on, on their PC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is broad. And 
And yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, the other thing is that, you know, going back to Minecraft where he released an initial version, multiplayer wasn't there for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. And are, are you thinking about turning your game into like a games as a service or now that you've released it, you're going to move on to the next project and you're going to just focus mainly on marketing outside of the game? So the game has a, uh, like, we do have a roadmap for Clandestine Anomaly. Now, um, the there is a colon between Clandestine and Anomaly, and that's for a very specific purpose of this is the first version of Clandestine. So I don't know, like, we're going to add some more, like, if the game, if the game takes off, like, we're going to support it. We already are, you know, you know, just in the final testing phases of our first, update for which improves the UI and and things like that and we might look at putting in leaderboards and like we will continue to support the game if it's successful uh, for some time but the addition of major features like that it would be in a like a whole additional title you know like clandestine persist for instance which is the current working title of if we get a chance to make the second episode of the series Um, so I mean that's our sort of expansion strategy is making them each uh, discrete games that this game has its certain focus and its thing that it does and the next game if there's a major feature change it's uh, you know it's a different game and if you were to make a second game how long would it take to make that now that you have the the code base and everything else and, and a lot of stuff in place um, to well if we're if we're saying we're not going to add multiplayer we're going to make clandestine 2 with more more of the same um, you know, improving upon systems that exist, not creating whole new systems, it would probably take six months. Oh wow! Okay, because I mean, I was thinking that one one potential approach is to have an episodic content where every month or something, you have something new coming out, which yeah, which promotes you know your main game because now you've got more content on the app store. Because one of the issues is that once you get an app out there and it's done featured, if you're not doing marketing outside of that app store feature it's going to fade mm-hmm. and and one one another way to do that marketing is to release updates you know which yep. which you discuss but also i guess to have other products that are in the same series so i mean uh essentially i this was i i last time we talked it was actually episodic the yeah. problem with episodic for us is the like the economics of it are pretty difficult like even a great yeah. game like um uh, like any of the Telltale games, like they have pretty high turnover by the final game. So okay. you're actually putting in your biggest effort to do like the great climaxes, and and so we decided okay. instead. And and the thing is too that those games are very narrative driven. Like the gameplay is narrative basically, where our gameplay is tower defense. Yeah. Um, and so we're more we're more of the school of thought of saying it is episodic, but the episodes will be bigger. So this is five hours of game. The Telltale games are not that long, like the episodes individually. Okay. Um, and that we will actually make new releases. And then there's a whole server infrastructure and stuff like that required to actually serve those uh, episodes that uh, were not quite set okay. up for it. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if it was a separate app altogether, yes. would you still need a, a server server side stuff to deliver it or...? I I know, and okay. and that's partly what we're uh, what we would intend to do. But we kind of, in terms of this game, um, want to sort of at least get some gauge of what we succeed. We need enough players to sufficiently understand what we did right and wrong before we decide to like mess with it. You know. Okay, and and so 
one of the things is, um, you know, since you got funding and you grew your team and, and you know, at, in, in, in the previous, in the last interview, it's kind of inferred some of the challenges you faced and some of the decisions you've had to make um, related to the product. Um, let's, let's discuss, I guess, the development process of this game. What's, okay. um, what, um, you know, since two years ago, <laughs> what, what's changed? Like, I mean, what, well, uh, how did the team scale up? What, what changed? What was the, yeah, go ahead. We actually massively scaled down the team at okay. one point. Um, we got to a point where it was so large, uh, and what we were trying to do was so innovative that we couldn't yeah. iterate quick scary. enough. Yeah. And, um, we did a uh, a wholesale reset of the team uh, about this time last year, actually, okay. uh, where we actually had no engineers at all. Like we got we we rebuilt the team except for the art side and this creative side, and uh, and that was extremely uh, scary prospect. Um, but we did it because we're sort of seeing when we had this giant. You know, we we were an indie team. We have an indie spirit, but we'd create this giant monster that we couldn't really couldn't iterate fast enough. There was too much yeah. put into processes and too much into tracking, and 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 you know, uh, it almost seemed like we were acting like this you know hundred thousand person corporation <laughs> trying to make an indie game, and it was just doomed to failure. Yeah. And that was extremely scary. In that words, where it was like, I wish I had more experience so I could have not yeah. made those critical mistakes um and then we realigned and got the team going and the the game that you see today was actually on a code side built within eight months nine months um okay. and, I, and i do think it's a like i think it's impressive regardless but i think knowing that it's even more impressive um and um and so i mean that was a huge challenge which comes more down to management and learning things like how to have a good corporate culture how to control corporate culture how to uh, you know, understand when there's a toxic environment, or understand when you have when you're burning more time managing than you are on building, which is what we yeah. were doing. Um, and that was a hard lesson to learn. Um, and that that's not a lesson specific to doing AR. That's a lesson specific to having absolutely no experience, then being given a bunch of funding and and l listening to the wrong people, basically. What? Um... I guess, yeah, what are you going to do then differently moving forward? Because if you're doing something innovative, from my point of view, and, you know, you've you've been through it, so, so you can definitely correct this approach, but maybe it's best that while you're trying to figure out the core design, that the stuff that can, if like, if you've still got a high risk factor in the in the game design and the product, that it may not be a good idea to, to bring in a larger amount of people because that could affect morale if you are going to change stuff significantly. Um, yeah, well, and... and yeah. And that's exactly what, what happened is when you go like what we're making is too big, it's moving too slow, and you needed to, you know, even say that the team was uh, functioning well, you sit here and you go, I, I, we need to make all these huge. There's a reason why when companies take a huge new direction, they lay off a bunch of people yeah. because there's going to be entrenched resistance to that new approach. And, um, and yeah, I would say that essentially doing the opposite of what we did is probably the smarter way to do it of saying um, – Start small and wait until you have what you need, and then scale up in order to. Once there's a clear path and all, and that scale up is simply, we've you know now it's paint by numbers, not quite that simple, but you know what I mean. Where it's like yeah. the roadmap is so clear. Exactly. So whoever you hired, they 
they may not necessarily be as risk um, embracing as you, mm-hmm. right? But you can give them clear, definitive uh, goals on what needs to get done, and you know exactly how it'll actually impact the final product because you've de-risked a lot of the the uncertainty. Yeah, and I, I, stuff, I yeah. And and I think I think the part of the reason I went with the big team originally was because I didn't like I wasn't experienced, so I was hoping, you know, we would put together a team that looked experienced at least on paper in order <laughs> yeah. to, in order to uh, counteract that. Um, um, but yes, for sure, for sure, uh, that would be a thing I would do again differently. Which isn't which isn't sort of an issue with specifically what we're doing. There's certainly a lot of challenges just within AR in and of itself. We can talk, but when, but when it comes to like the major sort of crisis point of the project it was it was coming to that realization and then trying to work your way out of it um but then there's just general questions of like you know iteration time is really hard when um when you do ar generally like for for mobile uh like you can do a lot of stuff testing on unity you know like like uh and and just sitting at your computer but to actually use the camera and use the GPS and test walking and going to different locations. You actually have to build out to the device and actually walk. And iteration times are just inherently slower because we're doing things that are are new. And then you know things like you know what range does it feel good to allow AR and taking safety into account or saying, okay, like we we can work off the whole world, but should we? You know, should we? You know, what size of an area to let people play in? is enough that people who don't want to walk very far feel comfortable, but people who do want to walk don't feel like, oh, I just sat in my backyard and there was no GPS element at all. And trying to come up with, you know, and we settled on two kilometers by two kilometers and there wasn't some kind of magic like study that we did. It was like, we just sort of like walked and was like, okay, you know, like, and sort of imagined in our heads initially, like, you know, how how far seemed reasonable to go. And we don't know if it's reasonable. I, I think for some gamers, any amount of distance is unreasonable. And for some amount of gamers, they love the element of ingress or geocaching, you know, yeah. where they where they go for miles. And and our, our plan is to sort of start at two kilometers away. Two kilometers seems reasonable. Uh, it's it's bikeable. Uh, it doesn't promote driving, which is one thing I don't like about ingress is that, like, people try to play and drive. Yeah. Um, uh, but we can see how well that does and then start to expand the scale accordingly or say, well, it's important for the key story missions maybe to happen within a certain radius, but you can have side missions that happen farther out that are more just, you know, and, and that's sort of, we, we're waiting for the data back from the, from the user base to see, like, okay, like, people walked to two missions in the whole game. Like, is that because we, our incentives weren't strong enough or is that because, or is that, like, is that actually fine? Is it fine that they played the game and they went twice to a location and they enjoyed that, but they didn't, but, you know, it didn't fit their schedule to do it all the time. You know, like there's a lot of questions like that. Yeah. So, th- so then what about the approach of co-developing with the community? I mean, this, this is a model that I've seen work for yep. indie developers where literally because they're resource constrained, they may release that product out there and just get feedback from a forum. Just, you know, and the people on the forum, they've got nothing they want to avoid what they're doing at work or whatever. So it's entertainment. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's a huge, I mean, that worked for Minecraft. If you think about it, um, that's what that whole forum was about. When I looked at that forum thread where this guy was constantly iterating and making updates so much and, and he was getting great corrective feedback on, okay, this needs to change. This needs to get fixed, all these other things. And so he had more confidence as he was developing on whether this will work or not. And well, and it also works as like an advertising. Yeah, as well, absolutely. You know? and, absolutely. And, 
Yeah. The, the community feels like they're part of the process as well. Yeah, and so uh, so they're getting excited because it's definitely it's definitely more unique than another approach where they have to wait, you know, a long time to to see anything or or to participate. And you know, when they give feedback and they see changes right away, that I mean, it's, it's still relatively novel mm-hmm. for 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 some people when they when they see that happen. And so, with your with your because you are going a different route and it, and it is more unique. Did you consider doing that? I still do not consider doing that. I, yeah, it's why, not. Why is that? Uh, maybe if our company has had a few like games that have have been fine, and we have a lead who's not me, like the yeah. creative core of the project isn't me, and they uh, that's what they want to do. Yeah. That's how they think they're best at being creative. Then uh, then you go for it. I'm not like against it in any kind of philosophical term of saying that is a bad way to do it. Yeah. It is more about temperament. Uh, yeah. And you know, it, you know, and it gets a little bit personal to talk about temperament. But I, I also have the bad temperament of just not of just telling people anyway uh, of the things. But uh, essentially, um, I'm just not the type of person who can. Cre- it took me this whole project essentially to even learn how to work with my team. Yeah, and but, uh, but see, and this- have that feedback uh, help as opposed to as opposed to trying to just force whatever I wanted onto people and 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 uh, and maybe someday I'll become more comfortable allowing it to be the community I, I like we're experimenting with the next game having uh, user generated content to expand the world uh, yeah. but still that's still very controlled it's still I'm putting it out and I'm saying this is where you can play and this is where you can't play and um, I, I don't really have a deeper explanation than saying like I'm just not well, I, you know I have my thing in my head that I get passionate about and it's like and that's what and that's what drives yeah. me. That's what I want to do. Even even if you're not tied into that community feedback loop, to keep your developers focused on the right technical issues and and the right approaches, would that would that have been a good good approach? Or, or do you feel that that still would have prohibited you from kind of pursuing your own direction? Because you mentioned having such a large team, and I and I can imagine that. The developers, if they don't know what to do next, or they're not getting a tight feedback loop, and things are constantly changing without that, you know, feedback from the community, that might affect morale. That might not make it as fun. Uh, as yeah, uh, yeah. I would but, say, I would say, if it like it basically took us the whole project to get close enough to what I even originally would want to have put out to test. Like, yeah. say we got here quicker, and and we went, okay, wow, let's. Let's, uh, you know, we, we can definitely make this awesome. We think we have something pretty cool. Let's put it out. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sort of say I'm making a pie and all I've added is the crust. <laughs> and, then, and then have people start to tell me what's yeah. wrong with the crust. And, and I go, well, how do you know that that's actually a problem with the crust? That bitter flavor might actually be well accented against the meringue I'm going to put on. Yeah. Um, but, but if it takes, because we're working in the space that is so difficult of AR... If it takes, you know, the whole process just to get the meringue and the crust together before you get to taste it, it's hard to then yeah, uh, it offer is. it up as well. But um, and, and I also think part of it is the iOS dev environment generally. Like, it's there's a limit in terms of how many users can, uh, you know, you only have so many people who can actually have IDs to even test the game. So you yeah. you, you can't like throw a file up onto a form somewhere. And easily have that uh, be iterative, like on a PC uh, game. Did you 
did you use Unity to do the development for the final development? Or yep. Okay, and because the reason I asked that is because maybe you could have released on Android or an Android version and then used that to iterate whatever, and then the final version would be put onto iOS so that you you could have it would be more easy to test. Yeah, it, it's and it's something that I'm thinking about for for the next one. In fact, the the thing we're currently working on is PC first, partly. For, oh wow, yeah, you know, partly so that. No, no, it's it's yeah. still it's still. I would say before how we talked about that distinction between like, like you can be innovative not technologically, like you know have yeah. a different aesthetic, have a different. So this next game, we're we're, we're actually being not technically innovative at all. Yeah. Um, partly because we want to have the dev time be very quick, but we are still trying to do something interesting in terms of storytelling, in terms yeah. of interaction, uh, and 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 it's targeted currently at least being PC first. And I think that there's an interesting thing with paid premium indie games anyway like if you actually look at games that that get a premium price on ios they're often games that released first either on a console or on pc yeah charged a high price point and then when they come on to ios and they're six bucks it's like well it's 15 bucks on pc but in terms of the actual scope of those games or the difficulty of executing those games has no bearing on on the price point you know that's you yeah. know like so so it's like our game might have cost a lot of money it was very innovative very difficult but you go mobile first and there's that sense of like well shit it's four bucks and I'm like it's four bucks <laughs> but but there's games that are like two hours that are six bucks no, you're you're so right no honestly like and the okay what what comes to my mind is Goat Simulator I don't know if you're familiar with Goat Simulator tragically but, yes <laughs> there. Why is is it because you saw this game that's just a complete joke and it and it surpassed their even their most serious game or is that it uh, is that what the tragedy is from or well there's something about I mean if people can like people can like what they like like whatever yeah. right um, but uh, um, I just it's it, it's so inexplicable to me and when something's you know I I think this is where people you know come up with all sorts of like you know why hockey players have to grow their beards and stuff because sometimes it's like there's inexplicable things that happen and then you try to draw conclusions i i honestly just do not i sort of understand the culture like it's great for let's play they're doing funny weird things but i just can't get my head around it and and it could be a great experience that is obviously brilliant to most people uh but to me it's i just find it kind of inexplicable and kind of frustrating that well, that look, game that, is so successful but so so let's then let's talk about how an indie developer can maintain confidence <laughs> when, because now i've seen this long enough in the industry where it's like the people who are like you know what we're doing the most passionate um you know we put everything that we have behind this and you know, we did this, this, and this. We tried to make it the best. And then you've got this thing like Goat Simulator where they did it in a weekend. And they just put it on YouTube and it gets like a million views in under three days. And everyone wants it, right? It isn't necessarily um, technically yeah. the most challenging. I mean, it's fun. And look, you know, part of it is, look, games are entertainment. Well, and you and wonder it's if those be guys... it's fun and funny. It's got to be a mix of both. You wonder if they intended to make it funny. Like, I think the goat yeah. part is obviously humorous, but I wonder if they actually were trying to make a different kind of simulator and it was broke to shit, but they found some fun themselves as yeah. they were playing it. Yeah. And then just said, let's, <laughs> instead of making it farm simulator, let's just make that thing a goat and then push out the door. So and right. th- and that's a brilliant strategy. Like, I, well, that's I like the thing. It. You're right. It was so glitchy because they did it so quickly that it's just like, well, but, but yeah, they put a goat on it and it's hilarious. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, dude, I don't dude, know. No, no. This, this is. 
Now this is true because like think about think about even Minecraft. Because look at look at Spore. Spore was like user generated content. It's the most perfected thing and this and that. And then you have this one indie developer that you know, you, you even think about Minecraft as a three D game. Everyone I just totally remember talking to people who are like, three D's gotta look awesome, it's gotta have all these polygons, it's gotta have the right shading and this and that. And you look at Minecraft and you're like, What? Well, I think you know, the community thing really helped yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, 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 I do, and I do wish I had more of that community in me, but I'm just not even generally like a sociable guy. Well, like, I you think, know, he, he still throws huge parties. Like, I'm just, yeah. I'm never going to probably throw big parties. If I do, I won't actually probably and be there. he was just... willing to put himself out there across multiple domains, right? Like, you know, Twitter, he's doing his little code sessions or something that people can watch him code. Um, but... I'm I'm just you know and and this goes back to what you're talking about with your upcoming game which is that the innovation doesn't necessarily have to be this hard technology it could be a philosophical or or a different perspective like just the concept of user generated content yeah d- democracy is not more technologically advanced than uh feudalism yeah but it's still an innovation in how we think about yeah, things yeah yeah exactly and so like user generated content you know what that isn't necessarily going to be the hardest thing to do but just from the perspective of what it offers to the game and the game design could be huge. I mean, you yeah. look at you look at a lot of these services like in the social space like Instagram and Facebook, they've trumped traditional media because not because they made shinier uh, production. It's just a different paradigm of user-generated content versus, you know, this polished type of TV show. You know, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and uh, and it's weird because you you never know how it's going to play out. But now I feel like the generation who loves Minecraft and who likes PewDiePie and stuff like that they actually <laughs> look t- they actually look to TV and it feels so fake that yeah, they just exactly. they can't ex- they actually so can't true. accept it. They can't accept it because they're like these, and, and and I'm sure that a lot of their personalities that they find on YouTube are completely yeah. put yeah. on in terms of like the guy doesn't actually you know talk like this in yeah. in, in real life, but. For some reason, it's, it's more genuine and authentic for them. And in fact, those people now on YouTube are able to make much more success because they've bypassed what would be, you know, the the, the big time. Oh, for and, sure. And I mean, if this... PewDiePie had the same show but with high production values and high staff, it would be less profitable. It, yeah. it, I mean, that's a general thing you even see in general technology like like uh, Uber or anything else where it's like if you if you can find a way to take something that used to take 20 people – and you can do it as one person successfully, it's going yeah. to be more profitable, which is essentially what he's done. He's created an, an entertainment show um, that does, it, you know, that shows off products. That's sort of the really innovative part <laughs> is, is that it is actually highlighting products. But, but like, and he couldn't have done that outside of YouTube because if he was yeah. in a traditional system, just as funny, just as talented, and he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to play these games and I'm going to show the most broken parts of them and laugh and have fun and like scream like a girl and people are going to be like so wait no you only need yeah. to show the nice parts of our game and he's like yeah. that's uh, but as we learned with goat simulator showing the busted parts of the game can make you a lot of money sometimes look that look all i'm saying is i just want <laughs> for the listeners out there there has to be some formula because i feel like the games that take the longest don't work i swear to you like look i've done this yeah I, i've I, and you know that's why I feel like you need to have this like this massive feedback loop, and 
you know, a lot of the stuff we discuss, like you need to make sure that the product is awesome and you're constantly improving and iterating, but there's this other dimension. There are all these other dimensions of marketing that really build value with with the people that is very different than what people would expect. For I sure. mean, for, for what marketing is. So for example, Goat Simulator, it made those people laugh. And like you were saying, I think they put it on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they put it on Steam and if it's like 10 or 15 bucks, and then like you said, now they've got a reference, well, okay, well, sure. Why would you pay four ninety nine for an app? Like that's, you know, like that's crazy when you talk about, when we talk about free-to-play paradigms. But you know what? Referencing it compared to what how much it costs on Steam or some of these other platforms. And you're like, well, that's a, that's a, that's a bargain. Well, they can also build up a, a claim and fix the bugs and everything. Like, the, the, there seems to be that seems to be currently the the best indie strategy for mobile if you want to do a premium game and aren't trying to just be like a monetization machine, like yeah. you know, Supercell, which is the uh, release on Steam and uh, have it be six or on whatever Xbox Live, like Limbo, or you know, uh, have it be successful there, and then eventually put it on at a you know seemingly discount on uh, <laughs> on mobile. Uh, but yeah. but yeah, like. Um, but and also part of that is that people have come to like learn about that game and understand it, yeah. and then you know because you do the, you do wonder if those games would have held up the same if they just went directly to mobile. We'll never know. Well, but. that's where the mar- the let's play marketing is once again this huge marketing shift for indie developers because think about think about it. Those people are watching let's play versions of Goat Simulator, and it's funny, right? So that look watching those videos, you want to watch comedy. I, I don't mm-hmm. think people are watching those let's play personalities for for either seriousness or or even uh, only if they're like the super crazy like hardcore like shooter guys yeah you know, some, okay. some of those so that guys might be serious you're right yeah but but I do think yeah comedy yeah. is generally and more so accessible it's it's huge social proof when someone like PewDiePie implicitly has paid four ninety nine or whatever it was where you know on Steam or how much ever it was there to buy that well you know. You're that more. You're way more willing to buy it then. Well, I, th- I think there's something even deeper in in uh, Goat Simulator, which is something I try to ring home a lot because I do come from a background of not just games. I come from a background of what whatever medium, like books, yeah. art. I go it and like you know. There's focus on mechanics, which is important in gaming, but like, <laughs> but but it actually doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like it actually, yeah. what matters is is like some nebulous, hard to define like experience value for the player yeah. where it's like if they can have fun uh then then it then it's great and if they don't have fun then it's not good and it doesn't really matter if there's mechanics just like i actually see yeah. ar it's actually not necessarily being the same medium as video games like the fact that you're in the real world has a strong enough distinction point from watching it on a screen or using vr like i think vr is an extension for traditional games because they're all about a stationary experience that teleports you, or augmented is is a non-stationary experience that uses the real world. But, and I think at one point they will, you know, they might share share uh, traits, but that they'll actually be uh, very distinct things. And like that's not something I'm necessarily. We have guys here who are super like Dota players, really mechanics heavy. They love to see all the meters in the games, and and I'm always like, it doesn't. It, yeah. The meters don't necessarily. Like maybe they matter. It depends on the game, but they don't necessarily matter. It can be just an interesting, like you know, I look at like a game like Dear Esther, and and like some people are like, is it a game? Is it not a game? I don't ultimately care what you call it. Yeah. Did you was an experience that did something for you? It doesn't have to be fun. It, like Dear Esther, I wouldn't say it's fun, but it was very interesting, and I enjoyed my time. 
And that can be, I think that's enough myself. Like, uh, there's so many things that are trying to be fun and entertaining that don't provoke any kind of thought where Dear Esther gives you, like, you get to think while you're walking around. And that's, that's for me, that's huge. I know that's not a huge commercial success, but, uh, you know, this so, worry of if it's a game or not kind of doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I, I think what it is is that um, it's experiences where interactive media is part of the foundation. It, it, yes. can't, it doesn't have to be the whole thing, right? I mean, that GOAT simulator experience was the let's play people <laughs> giving you, you know, exposure and making it funny and, you know, like you're, you're getting entertainment from that. It's also the game itself with where it wasn't necessarily innovative gameplay, but what it was is guaranteed get fun, right? I mean, that ragdoll physics, physics is proven fun. Mm-hmm. And then it was the funniness, right? I mean, well, you that, actually wonder if, if they didn't, like, I, it would be nice to know if they knew what they were onto or they didn't. But the fact that it, like, let's play gamers defined how to play the game more than the yeah. game itself did. It's not like you you open up the game and it's like, go and do a bunch of random things and have a good time. It's not yeah. what the game presents. But the let's play gamers framed the this is how you have fun with this game, and you know, and that that defined the game. So which is also interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't know necessarily what to take from that, but it is an interesting phenomenon that, like, if you just gave, I, I just wonder if they had, if you did a focus test n- with no video influence and you gave people Goat Simulator, if they would have understood that the way to have fun was to break the game, or if they would have thought that the game was bad. Yeah, you know, but so- socially they were told already that the, like, that's well, see, that's and that's where, as game developers, at least look, there there are the purists who are like, look, it's all about gameplay. But if you look at it from the perspective of this, okay, you're just providing an experience, a unique experience where interactive media is one of the parts of the DNA of that experience. It may not be the primary part. It may not even be um, – I mean, it is it is definitely an important part because it allows them to reproduce the experience more easily, mm-hmm. right? Or, um, you know, just like like watching the same movie. It's it's like it's like movie, but it's interactive. Um, but it, it allows for that reproducibility – so that everyone who participates in it can have that experience. But there's also higher levels of that experience. There's this social part of it where people can relate to it together. Mm-hmm. And that's something that your game may not even provide because you don't, it's not, Goat Simulator initially was not multiplayer. But because it was shared on YouTube, it, it became this multiplayer experience in a way that didn't necessarily need to have the game do it, right? They, and so people were gifting Goat Simulator to each other or something like, you know, like like it, it just became this, it became, um, you know, a, a part of this um, this social lexicon in a way that that made it popular. I feel, and and so, <clears throat> and so, what I was discussing this with someone, an, another person on the show, and it's it's it seems to be this mix of fun and funny. But I think what we discussed even captures it better, which is that you're really providing experiences. Where where the interactive media is part of it, but it may not be all of it. It's definitely I, I, not all of it. Yeah, I actually think the key thing that uh, and like like interactive entertainment provides that other things don't is a wider breadth of experience. Like movies, there's almost I mean yeah. there is experimental films, but generally it's like there's a plot, there's characters, there's certain things you can expect. There's a certain duration. Like games are super wide open, where you can have a Tetris game, you can have an infinite runner. Or you can have these streamlined experiences, and to me, like that's that's where the real value is. Is like I like I want to go and play a game, which like you know, there's scarcely these number of games, but because we all are worried about how how games actually reflect who we are. But like in a game, I can actually go and play as like a middle aged woman, and then yeah. like feel what that's like. And to me, that is 
like something that other mediums can't do. You can sort of read or watch a movie about it, but they offer this uh, breadth of experience, and it's the fact that you are actively engaging in the experience that is the powerful part. Like I, I have an I, like an Oculus or VR game idea that I'm not going to turn around and do because it's it's going to be too. Like I just did a thing that took forever. I don't want to do another one right away. Yeah. But um, that is, uh, you know, it's all about empathy, all about sitting in those other people's uh, shoes because like that's the great thing about VR is it's tr- it transports you into this other thing, uh, you know. Uh, and um, I think that, that that's very powerful, but I wouldn't design that game being like, oh, are the systems fun? It's like, yeah, no, I, no, but is, is the reality convincing and is, the, is, is it thoughtful? Like we're starting to get to this age of having experiences in interactivity that, like Dear Esther, are strictly thoughtful. And, yeah. and that's not a mass media thing maybe, but it is uh, a valid you know, an- another important thing I want to point out about games, at least, um, is that they're providing the video content <laughs> more yeah. than movies. Like for, for you look at the YouTube things, they're not editing like hardcore. They're not taking like real videos and using like polished editors. And they're, they're just using the video game for the video content. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's unique to because I'm thinking with what they've been able to do that with movies. And no, it's just they can't they can't develop a story their own story i, I think if, it's partly yeah. because if you just if you just showed the movie as the video content you'd basically just be pirating the movie and talking over it yeah like the experience itself is is that you watch the film whereas gaming the experience isn't just watching people like there, there is an experience in watching people play but it is also a distinct experience from actually playing it yourself so it actually doesn't you could just stream a whole game straight through and it doesn't necessarily diminish your personal experience with the game which I think is the difference. Where if you just show a movie, and the guy talks th- for two hours over the whole yeah. movie, you just watched the film and the guy talked over it. Which is like, you know, he only diminished the product as opposed to <laughs> added something that is separate but um, related. Okay, um, I don't know. Yeah, and so so going back to what inspired this was basically you are going to try to put something on Steam just so it gives legitimacy in terms of price that would then promote the the mobile. Well, um, I wouldn't say that that's why we're putting on PC. It is a positive factor putting on PC. We're also putting on PC uh, because we want to have that user-generated content element, which is hard, uh, really hard to do in terms of how, how much flexibility we want to give. It's very hard to do on mobile uh, without huge server infrastructure. Like yeah. Minecraft is easier to launch on PC because it already has so many easy ways for people to modify files. You don't have that. Yeah, in uh, in, uh, in mobile, in mobile, it has to be all like server based and stuff like that. And then the other reason is because I just want to have that fast, quick iteration time, do something interesting, get it out the door, and then you know uh, have it do what it does on on Steam if we get on Steam, and then and then move move it over as a secondary market. So it is it is like a, it's a game that we're designing for PC, but which we're making sure is still a suitable experience on on tablet but we're not designing it as a tablet game and then secretly putting it on pc as a marketing strategy but i just i've just noticed that that is also just seems to be a a more successful route like right now everyone's all excited that don't starve is coming out to mobile but don't starve is actually an old game um and and it's going to come at a higher price point than most mobile games and there's more hype around it because it's a known (laughs) it's a known thing Whereas with Clandestine Anomaly, we made a game that it can't be a PC game. 
Yeah. It's a location-based augmented reality game. And that has pigeonholed us both in terms of how much markets we can address because we can't hit the PC market at all without drastically changing the game. But I also made it so that we don't even have that that option to um, gain on a, you know use use one thing as a secondary market. It's like mobile is the only market that is usable. Wearables maybe at some point in the future, but currently, it's we designed it for mobile in the most dramatic way in that it requires mobile technology to actually play all the features of the game, which most mobile games only require a touchscreen, you know? Yeah. So so could there have been a, an approach where you literally did release it on Steam, but it didn't have the mobile stuff, and then when you put it on mobile, it just you, you could just promote that other stuff as like an added bonus? That, that may have been a strategy, but it um, wasn't something I had considered at the time because, you know, I'm all about trying to create, like, the optimum experience yeah. and if you're like the optimum experience is supposed to be this location based and we didn't go in thinking oh there's going to be a tower defense game that you don't have to uh ever leave your house for like that was something that came in through the development of trying to make an augmented reality game yeah um now i do think that the tower defense element of the game could be played strictly on pc but that wasn't sort of the the vision of the game the vision of the game was this game that takes you outside it is an experience that transforms your environment and so I was like, well, if that's the vision, then, you know, marketing ideas aside or ways to increase monetization aside, that is the core thing you're trying to do. And the only thing you can do that on is on mobile. Yeah. And, and I think that's, so I feel like a lot of these innovative projects, you almost have to try only one innovative thing. I don't know. I mean, I, cause, cause I see what you're saying. Cause I've, you know, I've seen situations where, you think it's going to work this way, but you have to sometimes change it to actually make it work. And because you change it to that, there were other opportunities. If you would have actually known that was the way it was going to play out, there were other opportunities or approaches you could have taken initially that, mm-hmm. that may have lent itself. To, I don't I don't even know what the solution is to figure that out. Maybe it's just faster iteration or whatever else, but I'm just pointing out that it can be difficult. <laughs> like when you're doing something completely innovative or unknown there's just it, it's just not a well-defined or understood process to, to actually deliver on that see to me it's the i mean i i question it obviously uh you know as much as anyone else but it's that fact that you don't know that makes it exciting like i i i yeah, i have no interest like say say this game goes huge and yeah we have other games planned but i only plan to finish out the ones that are a direct sequel before then I say, well, we're going to do another AR game, but it's got to have, you know, like I'm always wanting to do. No, I'm, I'm all for that. But the issue is that when you talk about having 30 people and then you have to say like, look, we're changing this. It, if they don't understand that you're actually exploring and you, you have to experiment, they're going to think you're an idiot. Even though, yeah. even though, look, that's the cost of innovation. I'm sure. You know I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that there is plenty of that, uh, but uh, so how? And I don't, it's not like you're not, you know, you're you're trying to do something different, and you're getting, you're getting a. T- so there has to be some formula, and and that's why I was talking about maybe what I've seen work is that you have your small, you know, the smallest team possible to de-risk the major things, mm-hmm. and then you know as you iterate, you can you can grow the team. But I I know I certainly think that like that that's a smarter way to do it. But um like. You know, uh, you, you want to have the thing is it, it's it's sort of two things at once. You don't want to limit the number of ideas you have by having a smaller team, but it actually doesn't because what ends up happening on yeah, bigger teams is communication actually breaks down, and it becomes harder to express ideas. A change 
you know, like you end up having to argue or debate your yeah, idea yeah. across like a whole bunch of people and it takes forever. Um, so, but you also want to make sure that that small team isn't so small that you can just like manhandle it. Like it's got to be a team that's very honest with each other that can work with each other and, and is willing to tell you, even though you're paying their paychecks that you're like, dude, yeah. that's, that's dumb. And you have to be willing to sometimes go like, well, I you know, either you're like, I don't think you just don't get it or whatever. And sometimes <laughs> just just do it anyway because that's the like you put yourself in a position to do that. That's why you're taking all the risk is to have that option, but not just do that flagrantly and just like throw. You know, like the way that this game opens was there's a few things here that were like I can point out. Uh, I don't know if people will remember it, you know, as being this way, but it's how I remember it. Yeah, uh, where there's a lot of resistance to it. One of the resistance was that when you start the game, we pretend to hack your phone. Yeah, I was concerned Apple wouldn't approve that. Honestly, like. Yeah, no, I'm still concerned that maybe they just didn't open the game yet. Okay. Um, but uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, um, that's something that was. I was willing to take that risk because I thought it was the opening that made the most sense. But that was one thing that was like, you know, originally I did have to diminish it a bit because I actually wanted a whole game at the start. Like, you know, and as you're playing the game, it gets hacked. But really, we just have sort of like a menu for a game for scope and things. And it take, you know, you're basically making two games instead of one. So we, we reduced that. But that was very controversial. The other thing was that was pretty controversial was the locking the location. So like after you start the game, you can't move. The, the the game like you can't you can't start at work and then go home and then move the game to to home it's like okay. where where events happen you can open a new save file but like where the alien ship crashes that's where it stays um and that seems like an inconvenience for players and it and and i'm not saying i'm 100 right on this but i'm saying that the key thing we're using as an augmented reality you know we don't have the technology on the phone to put something on top of a table or augmented based on weather or lighting the only thing we're using to make it feel augmented is that it knows the gps location so the only way to make that reality have fidelity is to say that's where it really happened just like if a you know if an asteroid hit the planet the asteroid hit the planet and you can't move it and it's the fact that you can't move it that for me gives the illusion of reality it's fidelity in the current state of ar but that's also like a huge inconvenience to gamers and will people blah and, and, and I'm sure some people will complain about it in terms of gaming, but um but you know, it, it warns you. It it tries to be very clear to you that it's like you want to start this game at a place you plan to play. Uh, but it, um that's a hugely risky decision. And it was a decision that I did at the peril of being advised heavily by many people not to do. Uh, and I could be wrong, but you have to be willing to accept that. But it's it's sort of saying like, well, if you let people just move it wherever they want, it breaks, it breaks that it's augmenting reality. It breaks, you know, it's yeah. it's you know, and and maybe that's just an unnecessary restriction I put on things. But that's where the way we went. But then there's also plenty of things that the whole team was like, this is dumb, and we went with them. So. You know, it, it sort of adjusts, and you don't know what the right ones are to do that with, or the wrong ones. You just have to go with your gut. Like, which ones can you sleep better with at night? Which which things can you concede and still feel like you're doing the thing you want to do? Which things? Which things where if you concede it, even if it sounds crazy, you're like, it just makes you sad. That's that's how I do it anyway. Like, yeah. well, if I concede the hacking at the start, 
I'm really just going to hate it. I'm just going to hate it. Every time I play the game, I'll be like, no, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's supposed to happen this way. You know, but that's not a formula. Like, I, I know you're looking yeah. for a formula. I don't think Yeah, no, no. I mean, but. it's it's good to get different perspectives. Look, there's, there have been multiple formulas that work. And it's it's just good to see what the motivations are and what what the best approaches are. Because ultimately, some of these some of these patterns happen over and over. And it's good to know, like, for example, you talk about having a bigger team. Maybe at first it would have been good to have that smaller team, but you had like a kind of like a, a, a decent community. So instead of those 30 people who were actually employees, mm-hmm. you had a community of 30 people on some form that were able to play it continuously and give you feedback. And, then, and that would and, have been cheaper, too. Yeah, way cheaper. It would have helped you de-risk the idea so that when, you know, and, and we discussed this before, but like when other people came on, you would have more confidence onto why this should work this way. And you're not debating it from a point of view of, okay, this is my opinion versus your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, there are different approaches. And it's, it's, all right. it's, it's just good to know because these are, these are challenges that, that developers have. And I'm sure listeners would benefit well, I, from just getting different perspectives. You know? I certainly think, like, I, I doubt Notch, it would be interesting to talk to him, took every single idea that was thrown at him. Yeah, uh, no, or, 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 or did it by Reddit. Like, if you go to Reddit and you just, take the most po- <laughs> you just take the most popular Reddits and those are the only ones you look at, it's kind of really disappointing. Like, you know, there's yeah. no intellectual discussion. It's just, like, memes and, yeah. and things. And sometimes something great comes to the top, but mostly it's, it's like, garbage, or at least I think it is. <laughs> um, and, and so you can't... So there's still a risk there that if you go too open to the community, you're still going to have to tell that community no sometimes, and you're still going to have to know how to pick the battles. That's and- No, that's not the case, because when you're first starting out, you're niche. You're not like Reddit now where it's so well established that the mainstream are coming into it. If they're spending time on your product when it isn't really released, and it's on like some indie game dev forum or something else like that, I feel like that audience is already self-selected to be... Um, to, to not fall into those things. I may be mistaken, you know, but, um, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be interesting, interesting talk to talk to him. And also like, how do you manage? Cause, uh, like, like, uh, it grew organically. So he might've started with a small community, but it yeah. became a big community. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I sort of have, and maybe it's, maybe it's a prejudice based on my being brought up as an, you know, in school as an autist and not a game developer, but, that there's there is something lost if you open the doors too much. Yeah. Uh, well, so it, so it's finding that balance between letting ideas come in, but still having a strong hand on what you're going to achieve. And I actually wonder about Minecraft because I actually feel like with there, there's these zombie things at the start of the game that you fight. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then it just never, and then it's no longer a factor anywhere else in the game, and you almost feel like that is like originally he was making actually a different game. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you're you're so right. Because, you know, he was going to put in achievements in real physics and all this other stuff. And then, see, and this is what I mean. If Look, let's let's say he would have just taken a long time to just develop it in, in private. He wouldn't have gotten the feedback. He was going to put in achievements and badges and physics and all this other stuff that really didn't get into the game. And you're right. And those creepers, what's so funny about that is that I see these kids respond to them it's like, it like it's so different than other games where it's like usually any kind of random character is like going to be there throughout you know but you know i don't you know i but i guess you know everyone every massive success is going to have a unique perspective or a unique way to do it and it's not going to be different i guess with that 
and 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 your game either. And and one thing I was going to ask is like, do you feel that if you were, uh, or do you feel that you have to learn coding? No. If a lot of these issues would have been resolved, if like, look, when you write your story, you have to actually write, and that's something that we're all taught for the most part. And do you feel that coding is like a literacy in the sense that basically, if you would have known how to code, you could have cobbled together even, you know, not like a real software engineer, but just coding as, as a way of like, you know, in, in the same way that you write, just put together something so that you could get feedback on that. I, I explored I explored that idea um, for a time. Like, you know, there's a, it was a feeling of inadequacy there where my Achilles heel, my weakness was that I don't even have an understanding enough of code to know if someone's just lying to my face about what's possible. Yeah. Um, and that that's the risk factor, and that's what I care about mitigating. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and writing is is more like, it's like painting where you can do it solo. However, filmmaking, I do not need to know how to light a set. I do not need to know how to act. I need to know enough about those things to tell those people yeah. what they need well, to hear but- to get done, which is, which is I mean... Uh, it's it is it is a different approach, and I feel it does alienate me a little bit from the game dev community because I'm not that guy who is you know late night coder and, and I, like if like and I know what that's like because I've done that with editing yeah. of a movie like you just get in but, and get the like zone said, and it's you need to know enough about it you need know to know how enough. to edit you know about lighting you know if you don't necessarily know about the coding so so if someone is on your team for editing a movie then you can call them out if there is any kind of inefficiency that's right. Um, yeah, and for sure. So, um, yes, I don't know. Um, and I, I've learned a bit as I go, but um, I, it's just not my brain just doesn't work that way. Like I've tried yeah, to, it's I've crazy. tried to learn it's how different. to code. <laughs> I've tried to learn how to code, and uh, maybe it was how I was being taught or something. But uh, it's it's just not something I I seem to be able to attach to, and and maybe someday I'll I'll figure it out and come to terms with it. But I go like my strongest strengths are on the writing, on the creative, and I guess I'll take on the thing i don't like already which is the actual managing of the things and raising of the money like those are not things i am particularly fond of and just uh try to find a team that you trust sufficiently is out for the best intention which is sort of a mistake i had made but i don't think i'm in that position anymore uh you know like i generally sometimes i think that they lie when it's like uh, you know like white lies where it's like what i'm asking is actually just hard yeah, and, and but it is doable, and you know, you just, that, that comes about knowing and understanding people, but um, like like their particular quirks. Um, but generally, as if you trust the team, and and you trust the vision, and you give them enough latitude to also have ownership, which is something I screwed up earlier on as well. Like if nobody feels like they have ownership because you're just this onerous thing, this guy who doesn't know anything about coding who's telling you what to do, and. Uh, that's bad. That's a recipe for disaster. But if you give them enough ownership that they're contributing and collaborating and you trust each other, like they trust you and you trust them, yeah. uh, I hope that it's not a necessary component. I'm, I'm sure that in big studios, there are people who, who don't know how to code who are still leads on it, but they have the advantage of scale. But uh, it, it, it's it, what, what it does do that is a huge disadvantage is I can't be that super lean one-man indie. I'm always going to have to expend cash or uh in order to have people uh, help me get my vision when it comes to interactive, and it's um, and it's easier now than ever before to do that though, like because the, there are so sure. many contractors out there that you can hire that don't the necessarily al- take the most. But the alternative though is I don't specialize in coding, 
And so it also means that I, uh, you know, if the video game thing doesn't work out or I want to take a break, I can just go and write a novel and feel very confident doing that and then go and do a movie and then go and do an art show and then maybe come back and do a game. Yeah. So it's a different type of specialization. Uh, and I don't think I'm taking the specialized route that people normally do. Like most people who make movies, they make movies. Yeah. And most people who write books, write books. Um, but I, 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 I'm trying to figure out how to be that guy who I, I, I don't become locked to a specific thing. I go where the thing needs to be. So if it's an interactive idea, I don't feel shy about doing an interactive thing. And if it's a, you know, a first person narrative that's written, like it's perfect for a book, I just write a book and, and that, that could be a really dumb strategy. Um, but it's kind of what I'm attracted to. It's trying to, it's trying to just tell stories on, on wherever I think the story should be told. And, and, and that took a heavy cost to make Clandestine, to have that approach, because yeah. that's why the game took four years. That's why it took me... I didn't know a single engineer. I didn't know... I never heard of Unity. I didn't even... When I had the idea, augmented reality wasn't a word. I even understood it. I, just, yeah. I had a concept that happened to be a thing called augmented reality. Um, and so there's a delay in that, but um, I don't know. It, it, I also find it exciting. Like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never, like, you know, I'm not just like, oh, another movie you know yeah so moving forward now with your with your next project idea how are you going to do it differently based on your experiences you know management development um and other things uh of this project so so there's a certain principle that uh a director francis for coppola used which is that you you manage the team based on the product you want so so if if you do want a game to have you know like so he's like I'm going to make a Vietnam war film so I'm going to make it the whole thing be very crazy uh, the set is just going to be wild versus this film the godfather which is and so he actually changed his management style based on the product he wanted uh and uh, the product I want this time partly due to just me being very tired uh and worn out is is one that is much more um collaborative than the prior one so in in, in this way I'm experimenting with being a lot more hands off I sort of uh came up with the overall idea, the theme that we're going for, and I'll be writing the story, and I'll still review the games and direct it, but in terms of design, overall design and level design, things like that, I'm more, at this point, like a traditional manager who plays it, gives my feedback, and lets them run with it a lot more. It's, uh, it's more iterative, it's more, uh, and it gives them buy-in, and it's partly because I'm focusing on marketing the game, so I can't yeah. be as available as I need to be. But this is also a project that I'm open to having the idea of having user-generated content. I'm not saying that we're going to actually execute on that, but that's something that we're seriously looking at. And so it's inherently a game that is uh, more open. It's more of a group project. And so I'm managing that in that different way. But that doesn't mean I won't go back and uh, manage it more uh, directly. But uh, I think the key thing next time is not necessarily how hands-on or how hands-off to be when it comes to making like another clandestine-style project. It's more just being smarter about how you scale up and yeah. being being a lot better at um, failing fast. Um, you know, I failed slow, and that and I, and then I did ultimately release the game, but um, I almost didn't. I almost completely crippled this project. Um, and uh, due to just, you know, factors I was too inexperienced to understand initially. Um, and so I do that definitely differently. I think, I think I probably wouldn't let the, uh, amount of funding dictate my psychology for how to manage it so much. Like I took a lot of, 
I brought on people who were experts in managing systems, but they'd worked at bigger companies. They worked yeah. at huge companies, and so they brought huge systems, which I sort of, in my gut, didn't feel were right. But you're like, well, they're the experts, so you <laughs> kind of went with it. Um, and uh, I think I would, I would do that differently. But to ultimately really decide what I would do differently, I think I'd need more time to percolate and actually see how this one turns out. Okay. So so it's like a half answer. It's like I kind of know yeah, some no, things, yeah. but I don't know. I haven't totally figured out yet. And, and the STEAM approach allows you to get feedback from the community. Um, For sure. Yeah, I mean, so that's I, yeah. indie, indie devs, there's tons of devs. Yeah. who I admire, who like, they're like, look, it, I've tested a new shader and they push that up on Facebook and it works both as marketing, as community building <laughs> and as getting feedback. And it's still not something I can quite do, but uh, my being more of a uh, less directly involved in the day-to-day -day on this project and more high level and on the story and things like that, uh, I'm, I'm less sort of it's less of a concern, like if that's how how they want to do it. But certainly, I think we're going to try green light on this one, okay. uh, and get some feedback, you know, that way. And uh, like, I mean, and if this game fails, if clandestine fails, people will probably look back at the Kickstarter that failed and say, "See, why didn't you know, listen?" Um, well, you know, one thing I was going to say is I was listening to this other guy who he he developed a PC game and he went into like a hundred and eighty thousand dollars in debt. Okay, for this game and I was like wow that's crazy and he also had a long development cycle but he made it back and more he made like 500,000 based on just marketing the heck out of it like mm -hmm. he contacted as many people as he could on blog everyone he wrote them individual emails you know like and that's that's a level of and he said he wouldn't have done that had he not hired other people or whatever but since it was like a team effort he did that um and that made the difference. And so, so I feel like with that's with the your, stage I'm at right now. Yeah, I'm at the. You know, we have some hired guns, PR people to send out the press releases, but they they don't seem as disposed to writing personal emails. Yeah. So I mean, and and that's he what said I'm doing he did currently it for right now. every like a lot. Like I mean, it yeah. blew my mind. Like the reason why I'm saying it is because it's to inspire me. <laughs> like, like you know, you have to be willing to do that. Right. For, and if you're not, I I, I don't know. <laughs> for, well, for for me, I go. And uh, like the the thing that interests me most is not if the game makes money. What interests yeah. me most is not if I make money. Uh, now uh, my wife is sort of not as fond of that as I am, so I'm sort of changing my attitude a little bit towards having or not having money. But uh, I'm still we're still not focused on like yeah. she she just wants a house with a garden, you know. Like she's not like asking for crazy like let's yeah. be millionaires. But um, for for me, the thing that is important is to have actually done something of value to society, to do something that is deemed good, to do work that is important. And so because of that, which is why I took the crazy gamble I did to try to like, you know, this is an, an idea that is ambitious, but if it works, it's high impact. And, um, and that's what keeps me like, you know, like regardless of whatever happens will keep me like emailing people directly at least for and I put four years in and so it's like you don't want to shortchange it out of the gate yeah um so yeah um so what I guess what uh takeaways as we wrap up the interview what takeaways do you have in terms of AR design or or the state of AR at this point in terms of how it can actually work within a game um well I'm I'm, I'm going off of what I think I learned and 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 users might tell me that I was wrong, that it, I actually took away the wrong lessons. But 
um, for for me that the core things is to always think about um, you know that you're not just designing within this controllable environment. You're also designing within an environment you have zero control over, which is the real world. And if you're not engaging the real world in some capacity, you're not really making an augmented reality game. You're making an augmented I augmented my table game, which is yeah. like a small sliver of reality. Um, and uh, to take that into consideration, uh, and, and it's very challenging um, to to look at balancing a little bit more broadly like we had to start thinking about like you know um well if a person walks there's not actually like a meter that's like you've walked x miles and your power up is this much but you still balance the abilities you get for going into ar under the assumption that there is that cost of walking um and and for me the the big thing with augmented reality is actually to which this hasn't necessarily changed but it's to actually involve the player themselves is the real person. Like the phone is still a phone. You are still you. Your neighborhood is your neighborhood. Um, and that creates a lot of challenges always because it's like, you know, you're telling a story where you don't know the backstory of your main character. You're telling, a, you're, you're creating an experience that could take place in India or take place, you know, in, in where I live, Winnipeg. And I mean, that actually was a hard thing. We had a map system before, like a map provider that looked great in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is a, you know, a city of about 500,000 people and we're in the prairies of Canada. So there's lost space. So it's pretty spaced out yeah. and, and the map seemed okay. It looked pretty decent. Then we went and sent to San Francisco and played it in San Francisco and it looked like shit because there was so much stuff that, you know, like yeah. things that were like, Oh look, it says that there's a store in the corner whatever it's not a big deal at winnipeg it adds a little texture but in san francisco when there was like hundreds of stores your map for your game became cluttered and polluted with uh you know a million pieces of information that were all relevant to the game and just cluttered it and we had to sort of toss out that system and come up with something different um yeah um i don't know if those are those are necessarily like concrete takeaways but you know you got to think about safety which i think is another place that ingress kind of failed like there's a guy who was arrested for playing ingress um but uh, you know, safety, comfort, social—those are all elements of design that we might not have come up with the right answers about. But you have to be thinking about it if you're asking a person to take a game into the world, because there's always been a harsh distinction between the real world and gaming. Okay. Always, and 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 with AR, there's not. And um, okay, and any other things? Because I'm gonna run run through my because because I'm gonna play wannabe AR designer, and I'm just gonna run some game ideas by you. Okay, I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> let's do it then. Okay, so so I actually started um, writing some re like research in a book on uh, aug or accelerated reality, augmented reality, whatever you want to call it. So here here's one idea: what if um, what if you could have your own little farm? So this augmented reality game would be a multiplayer farming type game in the spirit of Farmville, but it would be like you'd actually be given seeds and you'd have to grow your plant as part of the game or plant your your fruit or whatever else and then maybe towards the end of the season you would have this harvest or something else that would take place um or coordinate it through the game um where you would sell it to other people now this is more casual i'm more into casual stuff i know this is a little different than um something oh, more that's hardcore. Okay. that's okay <laughs> so, now my games are going to be hardcore um i've actually pitched an idea not i don't know te technically how close it is or not close yeah. to because like, implementation is a huge thing, but as a high-level concept, I love it. Like, uh, I think I think it's great. I think especially if, as part of the augmented reality, you start to pull 
Yeah, so you were going to take data. photos. Yeah, well, also you're going to take photos and share that with. So this this part of the augmented reality is that you would take photos related to either growing your thing, but, uh, but but yeah, go ahead go ahead with the weather thing. What were you? Well, thinking? I was going to say one one area that I think is definitely exploitable and on a farming game or a growing game makes a lot of sense is to say you know the more data points you use for augmented reality, the more it's legitimate. Like you know we're sort of using just GPS, which is one data point, which is like using bad yeah. green screen. It's still kind of interesting and it's still innovative. But the more you have like, oh, we know where the sun is. Oh, we know, you know, that you're exactly by this tree. And, the, you know, the more data points you have, the more like realistic AR can be. So for a game like that, I would, in, in my versions, uh, do have in like my designs on these types of games, weather as part of augmented reality. So it will actually pull weather data for your area and that'll impact gameplay and impact the harvest. You, you know, if you're in a very cold place, you might not be able to grow the same thing or you might have to do other mechanics to counteract the cold. Um, cause, cause then it, you know, it's still always more generous than really growing something or else it's not really a game. Well, you know, but, that's what I was going to try to do is actually have them grow something real. Like literally oh, okay. I would send them seeds that would be so part of the game. Let's just say you ordered like, yeah, because because the way you described I it, still, I, I still love it. I still love it. Yeah, I don't know because the thing about that is that then you would actually have something cool at the end. So that's why I call it accelerated reality because it would actually inspire you to actually do something that you wouldn't necessarily normally do, which is grow the some only vegetables thing, or a garden or something. The only thing yeah. I worry about on that is cheating, like uh, like people yeah. like like just going to the dollar store and buying like a plastic flower, and then you, and then the other thing that's not quite ready yet would be the actual camera detection technology yeah. to determine like because every piece of wheat doesn't look exactly. And the same. you know what I think it has to be then is a mix between actually them growing real stuff and then some of the imaginary stuff that you kind of refer to. So it's a it's a hybrid garden. And maybe they, so, I mean, maybe that, see, once again, and that's where the experiments have to come in. Well, and that's like a game, partly <laughs> like a gamification yeah. uh, thing, which, no, like, I, I think, I think it's really, really cool. Like, uh, and like, you know, if you have like an app that like has a leaderboard between you and your friends, you're all trying to like have yeah. the best real garden and you're yeah. getting. And it doesn't have to be a leaderboard necessarily because this is for a different audience. Maybe it's just more of a shared community on like, like how are we oh. growing or you have to go and flower or you have to water other people's stuff. Um, I know, I know we talked, you know, you talked about safety is one of the key design elements. So there'd have to be some workaround related to that, but you know, growing plants and farming, you know, because I, I allude to Farmville, this would be more of a, this is kind of an AR take on that. And, and so that's why I was thinking about it, but. No, I, I love it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a guy, like, I think there's some technical challenges, but in terms of an well, wait, idea, what, I think, what's I think the it's. the exact technical challenge? Because I'm not quite understand, because you said that uh, the photo based that, because I would just say you would use the photos to just share as like a feed or, or like a community thing to kind of update the, the progress of your plants. Well, that's fine if the photo is just a photo, but if you actually had like a game or a system that was like actually determining and ranking the success, you would need to oh, pull. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, like that's sort of what I thought you were uh, describing. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I, I'm missing where the game part of it is. But Yeah, well, it doesn't have, look, it's interactive media. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a game. Yeah. No, for sure, um, for sure. And and there can be some game-like elements where you're trading at the end. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, there there can be different, you know, because it's really a seasonal thing. And so part of the season could be game-like, but the other part is more more not. So, the other, yeah, thing so that was, to, yeah. the other thing you have to worry about on a financing side yeah. is people being like, not everyone has room for a garden, which is fine. Yeah, well, that's why, like, one plant, right? Like, one pot 
like let me figure out some some vegetable or some fruit that could be grown because it's peaceful i've had plants you know where you just you water them there's something to that oh no i i I, uh uh this this is actually very strange where way we're going here but i actually like (laughs) i really love growing plants yeah uh, and 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 my goal is actually you know i want to have like you know a greenhouse and like my house is like you know i'll grow all my own food and stuff like that at some point i'd love to do that and there is something particularly like so so I when I first started into this really really seriously I took a bunch of lentils we had bought from the grocery store and I just planted them you yeah. know and I didn't know how big or not big they were going to grow but when you just pour water on and then you come back 3 days later and it's like this huge thing you're like oh like it's like a, a mind blowing kind of Wow I didn't know it was experience. only 3 days that's awesome because Well I don't know if it was actually 3 days I'm okay. terrible with time but I'm just saying like you put it in and then <laughs> Different things sprout at different speeds, but like, yeah, like the, these friggin' lentils. Like, I've planted a bunch of stuff, and they are just growing like crazy. I have to keep re- like, I don't know. I still don't. I, I, I wish I don't want to look up how big the lentils actually grow because part of my excitement for this is being like, is this as big as a stock of wheat? Because I'm not even gonna have room for this. Like, I have yeah. to keep transplanting it because the thing's growing so fast, and that's like a very special experience that is kind of lost on a lot of us nowadays like and i i didn't have that for a while i'm just starting to get into it like those like very like yeah you know there is something fun and it, and it's and gamey about it's yeah. very peaceful it actually yeah. is that, that's kind of the thing about it is it, it calms you down yeah no exactly and i feel like i was actually more creative when i was doing that so i might start it off again but but those are the types of so that's that's an pseudo ar game and i just wanted you know because you've you've been through it so i wanted your perspective um I'm trying to think if there's other yeah but so so this planning thing was the biggest thing but but i guess um that like you said that the challenging part is how do you convince people to actually do it with real stuff you know because i actually wanted people to create stuff like you know like literally grow because i don't know if you've actually tasted home garden stuff oh yeah it's it's amazing like i i <laughs> i did spend some of my life like i've been I've had this weird experience where I've I've always lived in Canada, but I've lived in small towns. I've lived in Toronto, like a major city, yeah. and I've lived on I've actually lived on farms. I've lived on like mini farms. Like I, I, it's been very strange, but I've lived in a lot of places, and uh, I I know what homegrown meat tastes like, like you know cow and stuff. Like I've had like the full farm experience, not for an extended period of time. And when I was young enough, fortunately, I didn't have to do any of the work. But I, but you know, I do know, uh, you know. Yeah, and it it it's not even it's not even funny. Like store tomatoes are like an like an embarrassment <laughs> to like garden grown tomatoes in terms of their taste and things. Yeah. Now we're starting a cooking podcast. <laughs> yeah, well look, I mean, this is what I I'm talking about. Look, that's indie. <laughs> like, like like I mean what I mean is like you have to think about, you know, where what is going to be that breakthrough that actually makes AR you know, this is this this has AR elements but isn't completely AR you know, yeah. as, as we were discussing it and, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's the question. What is going to be, because what if, what if it becomes like this thing where everyone wants to grow plants together and, you know, there's like a pseudo farmer's market, but it's through this app and, or, or this game or whatever. And, you know, but anyways, yeah. So, okay, no, that's so great. That's, actually, that's no, no, you actually have a, a possible uh, Uber slash Airbnb business model there where you take a cut <laughs> of all the transactions people made between their products and uh you know and that's what you're... i was gonna do actually because I, because I, I, I wrote this up like six months ago so i don't remember all of it, but it was going to be like where you sell stuff because that's part of the fun mm-hmm. like you know you sell and the fun sell. and the fun for you is you get a small piece of every yeah. single transaction 
Well, the the way I, I was actually gonna, don't think that's terrible. I don't know how big the market is, but I it's a, that's like yeah. A, well, I was going to monetize the app through the sales. <laughs> if you monetize your app through the sale, like through people of, trading, of this, yeah. Like well, you don't sell the, you, the app is free, and yeah. there's no app purchases. It's just people trade the, seeds. And there is going to be <laughs> there is going to be in app purchases for the seeds. I was going to sell them the seeds and, and oh, okay. mail it to them. My only concern is because people aren't going to do it unless it's completely dead simple. And unless you give them seeds, going out to Walmart might be a challenge to get them. It's but, true. But you know what? They, Shipping they the seeds might be hard too. Yeah, that, because they don't want to give their information and all or, this other stuff. Yeah. Well, I didn't even think of that. That's true though. People hate giving you their friggin' email and their, mind, their postal address. Yeah. But, uh, they're, they're, uh, and, but I was more thinking just like, like costing it out like there's yeah no you're right that's so true dude like so the cost structure is not necessarily good but but i mean so that was one thing and then the other thing was the other ar pseudo ar game was going to be a meditation simulator where people are once again this is more like accelerated reality it isn't necessarily augmented reality um but it's it's this blending of reality and game-like feedback i i don't know if this is even close to what you would consider ar though i mean i've i've had people tell me that something I told them wasn't AR. Like, I, I, like I, I pitched to a very big company, and they yeah. actually did greenlight the project, uh, though it's on hiatus right now. But I pitched to a very big company. Uh, it's on uh, on hiatus because I just don't have the energy mostly. But um, and, and and I told them my AR idea, and they told me it was not AR. And I was like, or like I ultimately don't care what you call it. I, like I really yeah. don't, as long as you understand what I'm saying. But I was just like, that's I'm like, you know. I'm not like the ultimate AR. I'm not the authority. I'm not the dictionary on AR. But I feel like I probably have a bit of an edge in yeah. terms of defining what is and isn't AR than these random like corporate types. Uh, so, but anyway, the, the the main thing is like people have even told me that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to <laughs> AR. So I'm I'm not too worried about. Uh, okay, yeah. You, like yeah, it's it, it's we already talked about it. it's too ne- it's too nebulous as it is. Yeah. So I mean, I I guess what it is is it, it is blending this interactive media into real world stuff and in a way that at least with with your current game it's more for the game and for some of the stuff that i rec- that i was just pitching you it was more for the reality yeah you know and um okay well that's good they, I, they have to meet in the middle somewhere basically yeah right? and, yeah and there's no there's i don't think that there's like a right way or wrong way to do it i think as long i think the 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 rule basically the one rule of augmented reality that 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 is this is actually like not a gimmicky thing is that the use of reality and its augmentation actually creates a new or better experience than those two things separately so if you have yeah. a, a, if you have a game that is is completely functional completely workable and including the ar elements like the ar element actually does you gain nothing by having augmented it then you failed and all you did was make a game with no backgrounds that has real backgrounds yeah. uh, you know uh, similarly you know, if the reality part is so real that people are really just making seeds, and and yeah. there's no interactivity part that is driven by AR, then you created still something that can be pretty awesome, but you more like created an app that helps facilitate growing than augmented reality. So it, so the the rule is basically, and there's not, I'm not saying it has to be 20% give it here and you know whatever or 50-50, but it's if the experience can only be achieved through there's a real thing. And there is an augmented thing. Yeah. That to me, it's like you've created something new through the hybriding. If you didn't create something new through the hybriding, then you probably should have chosen a different okay. medium. So if the interactive media, say say for this farming game, 
if the interactive media allows them to have a more fun experience growing their plants, that would be considered success or augmented reality, or, or do you disagree with that? Huh. Because, for example, it's way more fun to grow your plants when you're conversing with other people while you're doing it. You know, you're, you're socializing, you're sharing. Um, you know, these are mechanics that aren't necessarily in the mainstream game gameplay genre, but they are definitely critical mechanics for well, a casual sort of, audience. It sort of feels like, like Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so is that wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it's wrong to say that that's augmented reality. I would say I'd say the key feature across most definitions of augmented reality that is the same is that there is some sensory some sensory input yeah. that's not just UI that is actually not really there whether that be sound or um or, or data or like, visual yeah. but like I don't think it can just be like a UI of different plants and then chatting to people. I think it have to be part of the growing process. But again like I don't like the, it's a nebulous thing, but there has to be some part of the process that can only be achieved through some digital extension. Well, here, and you know that digital extension doesn't necessarily have to be visual or sound. It can be data, right? I mean, do you, because like you're talking about pulling in weather data, and that isn't necessarily yeah. directly visual, but it, it definitely can accelerate or augment the experience because that data, and we're just using weather data. There's probably some other piece of data that's even more critical or more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, fine, visual data, literally, we could have imaginary bugs that you have to, you know, squash out, I, mean, I guess, on the, on the plant. I, I don't know. But, um, but I guess in that way, it makes it more engaging because one of the concerns is that when you're just growing a plant, if you have to wait a month to see progress, you're going to lose a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And if this augmented data or augmented reality makes it so that they're engaged in it, in a fun way for 10 or 15 minutes a day. So they, they're they getting amazing feedback in a way that they wouldn't have gotten from normal reality, then maybe it becomes worthwhile to do it. I, I get a little concerned when, when when we have people who can only do things with instant feedback. Though. Yeah, but that's what's happened. Like, look, a lot of wow. people can't. They, they know, don't have the stamina. Look, when the economy you, tanks, you and me who actually know how to grow things have a chance of surviving, and these guys don't. Yeah, so. well, but look, four year, like you mentioned taking four years for this game. A lot of people don't have that stamina. Now, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and I you barely said, had that yeah, stamina. Yeah, right, and, and you even, you can, you can, I can sense that it, it has taken something, a toll, right? Like, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll regain it, and you may you may even have more stamina afterwards, but the the easier it is for people to do something that would be an awesome experience, the better. You know, like you know. I don't know. I kind of. I, well, <laughs> it depends. Like, I think part of the value is like, okay, so I'm going to climb Mount Everest, and it's yeah. going to be actually like like there. It, it's a mix. I I think that I think that they're both valid things, but I think sometimes the challenge is what makes the reward the reward. Yeah, like, and, and like, that's it's like, oh, I, I got a rocket pack and I rocketed to the top of Mount Everest. Oh, man, I am so awesome. And it's sort yeah. of hollow. For a lot of achievers, you're right, that would turn them off. But remember, achievers, they may have been the original gamers, but when you look at where gaming is going now and, and the people that are really getting into it, I mean, that that's why I'm more... That, yeah, that's that's, that's what I'm fascinated about, right? Like, that isn't... My passion isn't to make games for achievers, um, which I understand. I understand where they're coming from. But like I said, I've seen this where you see this new new gameplay mechanics or new technology, and that's the kind of stuff 
that was unexpected that people didn't understand that that actually provides the most value. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But once again, um, thanks again for your time. And oh, no, thank you. This was actually far more, <laughs> not that I, I thought it was going to be uninteresting, but it certainly uh, was a broader conversation than uh, I initially thought. But that's great because I, I consider myself not to just be narrow-minded on just, I must make AR games, you know? So, yeah. Um, and, and it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for your feedback on the game design. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know how it goes um, and, and see what's up with the farming game. Hey man, if you if you take ten, <laughs> like ten cents out of every seed transfer or whatever, then you know that that's that's uh, infinitely scalable. It's probably a smaller market than Airbnb or something like yeah, that. but no. that still is uh, seems like that's where the profit is nowadays. Is being like a middleman that facilitates yeah. things like that. So that could be super successful. There's no there's no narrative, so I wouldn't do it. Yeah, but, no, exactly. You know, so, that's just me though. Okay, and and cool. So where can an audience once again find out more information about your games? Well, they can find out about Clandestine Anomaly on clandestineanomaly.com. They can find out about this game and all the other non-game stuff and future games when it comes out uh, if we, uh, on zenfry.com. And if they have an iPhone uh, or an iPad, uh, they can find the game in the App Store, searching Clandestine Anomaly. Uh, and the Android version will be coming sometime this summer. Okay, cool. Um, once again, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. Yep, take care. Bye. Bye.